This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to another edition of the Equalizer Podcast. I'm your host this week, Jeff Kasouf, joined by Claire Watkins, and excited to talk about a busy week in women's soccer. I thought, Claire, that January, I was moving this past week and weekend, um, and I, I thought January might be a safe time, at least pre-draft, to, to not be like super uh, attentive to things on a Saturday or Sunday, but I was clearly wrong about that. Um, we got a lot of news to get to for folks who are listening. How are you doing today, Claire? Yeah, you're right. There was a lot of uh, pre-draft chatter that just kind of carried through, carried through the week. Yeah, so we will get to the draft. Um, for those of you listening, probably expecting some draft breakdown, a lot to talk about. Emily Fox, number one, to Racing Louisville was um, the, the sort of headline of things, among other stuff. But uh, we've got draft news. Uh, Lisa Baird, uh, before Wednesday's draft, the day prior, was uh, gave us a state of the league of sorts with uh, a bunch of news, some news that we knew already, but uh, was confirmed in some way. And then we had some other things that were sort of tangential to that. Katarina Macario signing with Leon was huge news, and it had some draft implications. We had some other news throughout the week, Abby Dahlkemper signing with Manchester City. So we're going to get to a lot of these things. We'll get to the draft itself in the back half of this podcast. But first off, Let's talk about some state of the league, Claire. We had Lisa Baird, I think, confirm some things. Uh, I should give Claire the shout out here, who produces the Kick and Back, Back podcast. So she was on, Lisa was on the Kick and Back pod, pod recently and um, talked about a lot of these things US soccer relationship changing, um, expansion potential. So some of this was confirmation, including, I think, what became a headline, which was Sacramento confirmed as a 2022 expansion team still remains the weirdest sort of, you know, it's a weird topic expansion. And this one's the weirdest I've seen where nobody wants to actually confirm it. Sacramento itself is still just issuing a statement and not blowing it out of the water. So what um, we'll kind of dive in. What did you take away? What was the biggest takeaway for you from Lisa Baird's state of the league where there was a lot of little news tidbits? Yeah, it definitely did feel like an extension of uh of the conversation that you two had in that not only, you know, mentioning Sacramento, she announced Sacramento though. It seems like um, they still need some time to make their own official announcement. Um, You know, she talked about the U S soccer partnership, which is maybe one of the good things about these kinds of sort of press. I don't know if you can call it a press conference, press conversation, whatever um, is getting her just to fully state that U S soccer is no longer a managing partner rather than just kind of emphasizing um, some of the high performance partnerships. Uh, But the other thing that I thought that I thought was interesting and um, was also something that she mentioned when she talked to you is this idea of they're putting together this like 10 year strategic plan. Um, 
And it, it seems like with your conversation and with what she told to the media, this idea that for a lot, for a long time, the NWSL was doing a lot of year after year planning, kind of just seeing where they're at and planning for the following year. And what they're trying to do now is, you know, consolidate rules, um, understand their rule book, put together a strategic plan, not only for the 10th year anniversary, but beyond. Um, and so I thought that was interesting in that she spent a lot of time kind of referring to the product committee. Um, you know, she wanted to reemphasize again that this is kind of her first year doing all of this sort of stuff. And, and especially because 2020 wasn't very usual. Um, so there was a lot of kind of talking about the future in sort of vague terms, but with the idea that there is a plan being put together and being put in place. Yeah, and we talked about, I think it was me, you, and John uh, Halloran talking about some of that 10-year plan of taking that and um, our ideas for it on one of the previous recent podcasts. So, you know, the U.S. soccer thing, I think, was, you know, another headline grabber, like you said. As I understand the performance, that's the term she kept using, is that U.S. soccer essentially will continue to put money into the NWSL with an expectation that it funds um, some version of a – I guess a sports scientist, sport performance, I guess performance has been the word uh, for each team, that that's kind of a standard that's met and set. And obviously U.S. soccer then has the benefit of accessing that data and, you know, things that they've enjoyed in the past. And I think on that conversation quickly, I would say too, that, you know, this formal ending of the managerial relationship, which was kind of, evolving or changing or eroding maybe in, you know, previous years, I think it's worth stating, you know, this is a very nuanced thing. I, I think, you know, we like to bring folks listening or reading the nuance that, that nothing's ever necessarily black and white or terrible. And, um, you know, look, the U S soccer relationship needs to change. And that includes the evolution of the player contract model that we've talked about and reported on equalizersoccer.com. And I, I think, as part of that, there's always this kind of negative connotation to U.S. soccer's relationship and involvement in the NWSL. But, you know, to a point that the folks in Chicago and elsewhere make uh, quite often, and I will uh, reiterate it for them because I don't think it actually is said enough. The reason the NWSL really exists or got off the ground when it did in 2013 is because of U.S. soccer. So, you know, there, there have been some growing pains, but, um, you know, I, I think it's worth acknowledging because it's been eight years already um, that, you know, this league doesn't really exist or, or doesn't start when it does without some federation, heavy federation involvement and help. So I think that's, that's worth acknowledging. Yeah. Know, and I think, I think maybe then just the one other thing that, that I took from, from that, uh, from that press conference was, and this is maybe a good transition into talking about the draft itself is, is that Lisa Baird, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't confrontational. It wasn't, you know, in, in any sort of way, um, you know, heightened emotion of any kind, but she, you know, she felt pretty strongly that um, she got, she got a couple questions about the draft rules and keeping up with the rest of the world. And does a draft make sense in a global market and all of those sorts of things, which was really the, the large topic of conversation going into Tuesday and Wednesday and she, you know, she was pretty assertive in saying that, you know, the NWSL has its rules for a reason. They feel like they are constantly trying to provide the best experience for players and, and they will kind of let players take or leave it at this moment. And so um, I thought that that was 
probably the right tone to set, even if it's not necessarily uh, answering the questions in the exact way that media or fans might like, because I felt like that at least set kind of a tone towards, okay, we've talked about Macario. We've talked about whether this draft ultimately makes sense for top players, but it's happening anyway. And now it's time to pivot into talking about the people who did declare and then the talent that the NWSL will have in 2021. So um, I understood that as, as the commissioner of the league. And I thought that that was at the very least kind of a strong stance to take from a a leadership position, I think uh, publicly. Yeah, I'm looking at the direct quote from from our story on the site. Uh, the draft rules were changed this year were entirely because of the pandemic. And I think that started with uh, at least the first one, because as you said, Claire, she answered this at least twice. And I think this was brought up a third time on this call. But um, I think it's that first answer started with, let me be clear. Yep. So it was it was a sort of, I mean, I think, you know, she heard the criticism uh, of the draft. I think this is a conversation we have somewhat yearly. It's just become more pressing. I think the pandemic has accelerated conversations like this, Mm -hmm. right? The same as it has for veteran players going to Europe and the opportunities that exist at big clubs there, the money that's to be had, you know, the WSL versus NWSL conversation. I think it's all just accelerated. And, and, you know, the league is at a point where you just mentioned this about the 10-year plan. I think they've spent pretty much their entire eight years of existence putting out fires and, and they had to, to some degree, but it's time to really look at like any business or brand really, like, what are we trying to be? How do we get there long-term? And you still have to put out fires within that, but you need that longer term strategy. And I, I hope that it's a a sound one because um, I mean, I don't think the NWCL has to be the best league in the world. It needs to be one of them though. And it needs to be in that conversation. So um, the fact that it's, competitive is a good thing for here and there. Um, so uh, looking at, yeah, I think just rounding up, I'm looking at what else, you know, newsworthy from, from Lisa Baird was asked a little bit about, um, well, challenge couple be back. I, I did notice she was not as committal uh, as committed to a challenge cup beyond 2021, at least how she phrased it. Um, expansion. There really wasn't anything new from what, she and I had talked about in December that there's no real number. Could it be 14? Could it be 16? It's really about ownership. Have to think about geography. I do think um, geography is interesting in the Sacramento conversation, Claire, because it's already been reported that there are other potential Bay Area groups or or just potential for something there. And um, I, I think anybody in California would tell us Bay Area and Sacramento are not the same place. And It's unclear to me, even from trying to report on this for a year now, whether Sacramento, the standard territorial right is a 75-mile radius, which is why Sky Blue had New York even when they were in a terrible location. Um, And I think they even had Philadelphia within that. But Sacramento is about 120 miles or so from the Bay Area, depending where in the Bay Area. So, you know, even if that's not in that territory, do you want to have three California teams suddenly and you're on, you know, I think there's some interesting conversations there on expansion, but I know we've talked about that um, to some degree. So I, I think the, you know, the draft pushback was, was the other big thing. And then Utah, obviously, um, I guess really some non-news was that um, it was the same day, actually, Don Garber had a call and in both cases, 
we were pretty much told that we're not going to now is somebody going to dig this out probably but we are not going to be formally publicly told what the investigation results were for Utah Royals for Real Salt Lake for Deloy Hansen really is maybe the the best way to put it but right Lisa Baird said no and I think Don Garber I'd have to find the quote but it was a version of you know we found that something wrong happened, but we're not really going to share details. So. Yeah. I mean, that, that's about, that about sums it up. Yeah. So it seems like it's one of, that was an interesting, that was a whole interesting experience just kind of hearing from Baird in that, yes, there was some stuff that, that definitely felt like news um, expansion. Sacramento felt like news. The U S soccer partnership felt like news, but either kind of walking away from it, it was either stuff that maybe we had already kind of heard or, things that still are very much in the very early stages. And, and like I said, she, she deferred to the product committee like a lot. So um, it was interesting kind of how she negotiated that by saying that she couldn't really talk definitive, definitively about a number of things kind of going into the future in terms of, of planning. And like you said, the challenge cup and stuff like that. Yeah. Interesting. I guess diplomatic as well. Uh, sure. <laughs> you know, I do from, from some reporting last week, understand though, that there are, some changes that I think are unclear even internally. So they're, they're difficult to convey externally. And I think that transitions us too into, I want to talk kind of bigger picture on the draft here. And then, you know, we'll come back from the break and talk about kind of the draft itself. And I know people want to, to hear a little bit about picks and players and teams, but the, the sort of this existential conversation around the draft was really uh, exemplified and, and a big spotlight on it because the number one talent, you know, unanimous opinion, I would say, of Katarina Macario signed two and a half year deal with Leon. It'll take her to June 2023. And it meant obviously no NWSL right away, but it also meant her rights couldn't even be drafted in the draft. And as I understand it, so her rights, because, you know, she didn't come through the college draft, she'd become discoverable, which is its own antiquated thing. That's probably even higher in line to be for to somebody to get rid of the, the concept and the idea, but um, she can't even be discovered until at least after the 2021 season. And even that might be a little unclear because she'd be a U.S. pool player. And, um, but it got to the point there um, to the point you're making about the product committee, Claire, I was sending some, messages out, like making sure I am understanding this right. So I can convey this to readers. And it sounds like there are changes even in some of this discovery process and that. So there's stuff that's unclear even internally. So I think that creates a difficult and complicated conversation, but to the point um, on the big picture here, Katarina Macario to Leon, honestly, from reporting on that, it sounds like there was never a chance really, you know, as much as we wanted to speculate would it be NWSL? Would she go to Louisville? Well, it doesn't sound like she'd go to Louisville. Well, where would she go? Could she get the right amount of money? She said on a call Tuesday uh, when it was announced that it was not about money, but from what I understand, she's getting paid, you know, enough that I don't think an NWSL team was necessarily going to be able to compete with that from a, an allocation money perspective. So before we get yeah. into draft, I mean, what do you think about that move for Macario? Sure. And I mean, I think the other, the other big piece of Macario news, and we'll talk about this on the next podcast because the U S is going to play some games this week mm -hmm. is um, that she is now fully eligible to play for the United States for the full team become cap tied. Um, 
So that process has, has finally come through. And I think, you know, it's interesting. And this was something I was reminded on Tuesday when, when, you know, the call with Macario happened. And then even also on Wednesday when kind of the draft happened itself is yes, we, we talk about the, the, which league is better and, we have our own invested interests in in that conversation and that discourse. But a lot of times players are just making decisions for themselves that are just best for themselves. And I think that you look at a player like Macario, and I've said this before, I think that, you know, the way she talks about Stanford, that's not something that's not really a total like front that she was putting on to be able to go through this, this U S process. I think she really loved playing for that team. And I think that, 2020 took her opportunity to kind of go out in a blaze of glory away from her. And so she graduated, you know, she graduated college at the end of 2020, at the end of the year. And I think that at that point, I think it makes sense to me. She described it as a gap year, essentially, um, maybe a gap, couple of years, but um, that once that happens, once you're like, okay, I could play this spring season, go into the NWSL. I could go through this draft process, kind of half do one thing, half do another thing, um, put together, you know, these friendlies for the U S try to make an Olympic roster. Um, or you can just kind of make a clean break and, and go make a lot of money and play for a very good team. And, you know, as much as we like the NWSL and talk about competition, obviously that is going to be a great training environment for her. Um, and it's just kind of a life decision. So I think that it's one of those things where, yes, all of these conversations, especially when we talk about NWSL rules and whether they put players off and what that means for the future are all really valuable. But in terms of one player like that, you know, she had a lot of factors going into that decision. So um, I think that that was just kind of what I was reminded um, from her and then also from the players that we talked to on Wednesday who did decide to join the NWSL. Right. Yeah, I thought it was a, a good point, um, a good conversation, and um, one that Pardeep Katri wrote on EqualizerSoccer.com was basically what you just said, that, you know, this was an individual decision for her, but, you know, if you look past maybe that one top, top talent that is always going to be sought after by many, you know, there is still a ton of talent that came through the draft, and, and we'll come back and talk about that. And real quick on Macario, it's real now, right? I mean... I can't what, believe it. What, what a what a journey we've you know we've but, all but, been on. I know. You know, she mentioned the Olympics very explicitly in her press conference that, about getting regular time ahead of the Olympics, and you know, as of Monday night, I mean, we may well be seeing her in a U.S. jersey, and we'll talk about that next week after those couple games. But um, she mentioned Olympics. I mean, this is you know we need to be seriously talking about as we go along here now, whether she's fitting into that 18 or not, but um, we'll do that. We'll get to that, but there was a lot of talent in the NWSL draft. So we're going to come back after this break and talk about those who were drafted, what it means for those players and those teams and some of the um, tangential action we had with some, some big trades and whatnot in the draft. So we'll be back to break down Wednesday's 2021 NWSL college draft right after the break. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Equalizer podcast. want to make sure that you're also aware of the Equalizer's other podcast called Kicking Back, which I host. I'm your host, Jeff Kasouf. Each week, I speak with a player, coach, personality from across the world of women's soccer for insight into their career and some current events. It's a nice, casual conversation, hence 
we're kicking back. Recent guests have included Vladko Andonovsky, Christy Mewis talking about her comeback to the U.S. national team, Jen Hildreth, the voice of the NWSL, Kelly Simmons from the FAWSL, Vero Bocchette, and recently Heather O'Reilly. Really great conversations on kicking back. So if you like the Equalizer podcast, please go ahead and listen to Kicking Back. Find us on any podcast platform, including the one you're listening to right now. We have a couple more great shows planned for the end of the year and a lot more planned for 2021. Now let's get back to the Equalizer podcast. Back here on the Equalizer podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Jeff Kasouf, here with Claire Watkins. If you don't subscribe already, please go ahead and subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss a thing. Go ahead and rate and review. Appreciate those five stars and those kind words on Apple and go ahead and subscribe on equalizersoccer.com slash subscribe for all of our premium content. We've done a lot of reporting. I wasn't kidding earlier in the show when I said a lot of the stuff that Lisa Baird talked about on Tuesday last week was already reported by us in many ways. So uh, you can get those scoops first if you are a subscriber. So we're here to talk draft. Claire, I promise we are going to talk and get through this faster than the draft itself and even the first round that took two hours, yeah. uh, which was quite a slog. I actually lost power right before the draft. That was fun. Um, I think I was watching. I heard. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you talk about, I'm not going to, we're not going to give this too much time because we should get into the actual draft itself. But, um, yeah, I mean, you talk about conversation around the draft. It ended way after a lot of people had to file their deadlines. <laughs> I don't know if I ever want to do that at night ever again. <laughs> well, I think prime time, if you're going to go prime time, do it for, well, the Twitch audience did look good. I mean, relative to what, I don't know, but 35,000, I think at one point it ended with 10,000 people stuck it out until 1147 at night on the East coast. Um, so it was exhausting, but people watched it. So I don't know, maybe that's a good setup for primetime TV in the future. I don't know, but um, definitely different than the usual like 10 a.m., 11 a.m. or so start yep. that, that we've had in the past. But Emily Fox at number one to Racing Louisville, um, I guess that at that point, knowing the Macario news and not even her rights were able to be drafted, that that made sense. Um, I'll, I'll run down briefly, obviously 40 picks. I'm not going to go through all of these, but the, the top three, I think, Claire, were certainly interesting and kind of a wide spectrum of players that might play right away, players that need some time, where they fit into a system. So Emily Fox to Louisville, Trinity Rodman at number two to the Washington Spirit. So she comes in without any college play. She was top recruit in 2020, went to Washington State, never played there because of the pandemic. And then Brianna Pinto at number three to Sky Blue, that Pinto life. I loved that, <laughs> that interview. Um, and then maybe I'll go to four before we kind of get some thoughts here. Kiki Pickett, uh, we'll talk about that trade, which ended up being Kansas City. But um, top pick, Emily Fox, made sense to you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the only thing about Emily Fox that was just in question was that she was one of those players that didn't actually declare for the draft. Right. Um, so I think that was something where there were a number of seniors who didn't declare but had kind of an understanding upon talking to some NWSL teams that they would be available 
Um, yeah, I thought it was great. I mean, it was kind of a, kind of a tradition, right? You get the, they at least had a live stream going from, from us women's national team camp. Sometimes you have people send videos. They got all the first round draft picks together to take a picture, that sort of thing. I think Emily Fox is great. She's going to be a very important leader to the Louisville back line. Um, she's organized, uh, and she's very competent back there. So I think that that was a good solid pick, um, for them. I think that Washington, for the the Washington Trinity Rodman pick is only just kind of interesting in that um, I'm not sure people knew that Brianna Pinto was entering until she said that she was pretty close to when the draft happened. It was like the day before something like that, two days before. Um, but it was clear that the spirit had really been in close contact with Rodman. I mean, her mom had a spirit Jersey ready to go. Um, that was a deal that they knew that they were, that they were making. And so, I thought that was great. And then Sky Blue, wow. I don't think they ever expected to be getting Brianna Pinto at, at the third spot, but um that's like that's a that's a real win, real win for them. And then obviously with the number four, they got quite a bit of money. Um but I would say in general, I don't think any team had a terrible draft. I think that, you know, Washington picked some high variance players. Obviously Ron Rodman would be one of those. Sky Blue walked away with some good players and a lot of money. I thought Orlando made some very smart picks, just the right role players for what they're trying to do, trying to pick up, uh, kind of do what maybe Houston did um, with their roster. And, and yeah, so I thought a lot of the draft was just very, very normal people picking up, picking up good, good quality players. I think unofficially, I don't know, maybe our producer Jacqueline can tell me if I'm wrong here after a little bit, but I think I'm counting roughly top of head six times now, maybe that the top pick has been, in a U.S. women's national team camp at the, you know, in the January camp, I think. I mean, rough estimate. I know, th- I think there might be a couple where they were a U.S. player after the fact, but um, it's a pretty common occurrence, which I hadn't thought of much until you said that again. But um, yeah, it's usually the the recorded video. So that right. was, was nice. But um, number two, Trinity Rodman too, I, I want to touch on briefly because uh, to your point, you, you know, Pinto declared late. Um, I think, you know, from what I understand, Washington was very high on Rodman, knew she was coming in at whatever point and sees this. I mean, Richie Burke told us afterward late at night that Wednesday was, this is a long-term project, could be a very special player. I've seen some ridiculous comparisons. I, I don't know if these were from anybody of authority, but I, I saw somebody saying like, this is the LeBron James out of high school move. And you know, <laughs> I mean, that is just a comparison I don't think we even need, but you know, the... <laughs> It's really interesting. I mean, we've seen an increased number of underclassmen, and this is obviously the extreme of that. This is basically a high school player in so many terms. I mean, never played in college. Coming, yeah. Into, so, you know, one thing, one person that I saw it was, uh, it was uh, our my friend uh, Leo over at, at Rose City Review wrote um, about how uh, tra- the interesting comparison that's not really being made is Lindsey Horan. Um, who famously did not go to college. Uh, so there's some precedent for it, even in the women's game. Um, obviously, you had Mallory Pugh enter Discovery as well um, instead of playing for UCLA. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think, like I said, I think that that is a high, not even high risk, but long-term high reward pick where they're not going for someone that they know will be an immediate, you know, intense contributor right away, but that they believe can be a very good player for them for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And so Pinto at number three to Sky Blue, like you said, I think that they felt fairly lucky that they were able to do that. And I think could be, 
you know, I'm sure they hope a player for the future, for the long term for them. She had told us, had said, I think even in her original announcement that she plans to play at UNC in the spring and then join up. But I think that's a minor thing when you're talking about a franchise player, so to speak, and uh, maybe folds us into some of the trade talk here. So Sky Blue on the night came away with, well, traded for 275000 initially and then used thirty five of that to bring Jennifer Cajot back from racing Louisville, who they lost in the expansion draft. A bit of a fiasco of sorts there, but it brings the player that they wanted back that they never should have lost, who never wanted to go. Uh, but a pretty significant haul, and that's because after that Pinto pick at three, they had the four pick. Kansas City, who actually – we missed in our news roundup, I guess, Claire, was maybe because it was kind of non-news. Kansas City is going to go by Kansas City NWSL temporarily for a year. Um, if you've missed that, they're going to do permanent branding in the near future so they have more time to do it. Um, so we'll just call them Kansas City for the year, I guess. Kansas City trades up to number four, pays $175,000 in allocation money for that number four pick, and they take Kiki Pickett out of Stamford. Uh, Stanford, sorry, Stanford, where I used to live. Um, Stanford, and that's a high price tag, yeah. right? Um, I, I added some context to that, that they inherited Utah's money. So they had a lot of bonus allocation cash on top of the 400 that they'll have going into access to going into 2021. So I guess that's bonus cash in a way, but I did get a text from somebody in the league, and, and it seems like this was a prevailing thought on the night that – it was a terrible trade. I got that almost right away, uh, which I found interesting. And I, my reaction was, one, they've got a lot of bonus cash to work with in that sense. And two, uh, well, two, they think this is obviously a franchise player. And three, there's no basis for this this trade, right? I mean, we don't know what the real value of allocation money is. And with drafts, double down on that until you see what happens in the long term. Who knows if this is a terrible trade? Yeah, I mean, I think the the one thing I've learned from uh, covering the Chicago Red Stars very closely is that uh, with the draft, there's no such thing as as a neutral value to anything. Um, the value is whatever the team that wants it is willing to pay for it. And that will change within a draft, mid-draft. That will change year to year. Um, I think anything that happens on draft day, I don't think you can take too much into precedent for maybe a negotiated deal um, because it's, it's just a different conversation. Things are happening, happening quickly. Um, Kansas city thought that that pick was worth $175,000. Did anybody else? No, I don't think so. Um, Mark, uh, Mark Parsons talked about how, Portland actually was in play for that, for that fourth pick and they, they didn't get the call to make the trade and they weren't sure why. And then they heard the number and they were like, Oh, that's why. Um, so it, it, yes, wild. Absolutely. Should we compare it hand to hand with, you know, Crystal Dunn to Portland for 200 K? No. Um, like you said, they had kind of a lot of monopoly money to play with and they wanted to definitively make that trade happen quickly. And, they they did that, and I, I'm not sure it's something that people have to uh, to put too much weight into. Other than wow, that's a great deal for Sky Blue. Mm-hmm. And our producer Jacqueline Purdy has confirmed with me. I'm surprised I was right off top of head here. Six times that an NWSL pick has been uh, the number one pick has been in U.S. Women's National Team January camp. So um, I don't know. There's obviously a trend there. Uh, 
So the trades though, let's, let's talk quickly because you mentioned the price tag that nobody wanted to pay. Portland was a team that didn't want to pay it. Richie Burke told us afterward that Washington was also a team that was not going to pay that, but eventually paid the other hundred that we're talking about to sky blue um, at number eight there with another sky blue pick. So I, I would say, there's a lot of cash for Sky Blue to work with. I believe um, our colleague Dan Loletta paraphrased Elise LaHue from a chat in a story this week that they plan to use it to better their roster. So I assume that means they're going to use it to go out and sign somebody. You know, the one person that I saw, you know, I th- this was just a rumor, but, you know, there was, they said there was a possibility that Alana Cook was maybe looking looking for a different situation. And I was like, man, if I'm Elise LaHue, I get Alana Cook on the phone and I just say kind of what are you thinking money wise, because that would be a great player to go pick up with that money in, in my opinion. And then briefly, I don't want to go through without kind of following up because we're, we're moving out of the first round a little bit, but, um, I thought all, all of the rest of the first round picks made a lot of sense. I like Madison Haley for Chicago. I think that's a great fit. Um, I thought that North Carolina took kind of some big swings on some defenders, which they obviously need, um, relying a lot on probably their system to, to tighten up some, some stats that weren't amazing for some of those players. Um, but I want to talk about Sky Blue getting Jennifer Cujo back. Um, <laughs> not only because that it's just kind of, I think all in all, not a terrible bit of business for Sky Blue, but just kind of a funny sequencing of events. Um, but also still, you know, and I'm really trying not to, I'm not trying to go too hard on, on Louisville because obviously we need to see the team play, but I'm a little bit surprised they gave her up for so little considering how much money Sky Blue had to work with. And again, I'm, I'm still just thinking about Louisville in terms of numbers. And I think they only have at this point, maybe 18 players all in all who will be playing for them. They picked up a player, um, Kirsten Davis, who, uh, is going to be playing through 2022. So in college, so, um, or till 2022 in college. So that's another player that they picked up in the draft that will not be playing for them immediately. They send Cujo back to sky blue. They obviously still have a number of players that they have the rights to that are still in Europe. Um, I don't know. I don't know exactly what's, what's going on there. So start, start with the, what do you think about what sky blue, the business that sky blue did with, uh, with that deal? Well, I want to see what they do with the money, but the Cujo specifically, um, yeah, I think they got her back for a relative bargain, but they should have never had to do that in the first place. I still haven't seen a full explanation of why she was not protected in the expansion draft when she was, I think, sought after at least by the way of, like, she she had a lot of great publicity this summer and she did well. And then they signed her to a extension, a longer term deal. And then all of a sudden she's not protected. I, I don't know what that that gamble was to be honest, because they could have protected her very clearly with due respect above some other players they protected based on pure skill and potential. So, I mean, I I think it's a decent enough deal on draft day, but like big picture of should you ever have had to do it? No. Right. That's my kind of take on that. But um, yeah, I mean, look from the 275 that leaves them 240. So uh, I, you know, the Alana Cook thing, I have no inside knowledge of, but that would be a good shout. I mean, certainly I think they could use some, some help up top. And obviously the Mallory Pugh trade that was last draft day really never became anything for Sky Blue. She's off to Chicago now. So, um, you know, I, I'm interested to see what they do with that money, certainly. Um, and I, you know, I don't want to move out of the first round too much, um, to your point, but 
there's probably, that's where most of the, the stuff that we want to talk about on the little time we have left. Um, the other trade pieces here, Yaz Ryan was, was what you mentioned, Claire, of Portland trying to trade up very high on her TCU. It seemed like, and Mark Parsons actually told us this afterward, I mean, basically, there was nobody in front of Portland that wanted Yaz Ryan because this seemed to be kind of a, I don't know what we call it, a hipster pick or just like they, they had their eyes locked on a player that was not a Fox Pinto Rodman type of name, but nobody else was necessarily doing that. But we found out the nuance of it was um, Chicago who held that pick was talking to other teams that might've jumped up and couldn't guarantee that she would stay there. So um, you know, I think an interesting sort of trade there. Yeah. Was, yeah. Uh, yeah. I was just going to say, I think it's very funny that Chicago sold an international slot on Wednesday morning and then got one back for free um, Wednesday night. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think ultimately it was just, I think Portland was just anxious. I think they just wanted to get their pick. Um, they weren't going to rest easy until they got it. Uh, they knew that Chicago was going for Madison Haley. They knew that Chicago themselves were not a threat to take their pick, but yeah, it's the idea of, you know, never trust Rory Dames on draft day. So in order, they thought that that was a, a decent price to pay, um, to, to make sure that they, that they got the main thing that they wanted to do done. Um, and yeah, I thought Portland had a great draft. They got Sam Coffey too in the second mm-hmm. round. So I think they picked up some really good players. Um, with the few picks that they had. Um, and then, yeah, Chicago got the player that they wanted and a little extra on the side. Mm-hmm. And I was going to say, wrapping up, I mean, moving beyond the first round with with no disrespect to the other 30 picks, I think I'm not going to go line by line on them. You can check out the, the full draft order. And I would say, you know, there have been many of cases, and we have case studies of this, that third, fourth round picks who go on to have very successful careers, even undrafted players. So I'm not disrespecting those players. I, I think certainly... There will be somebody from the pack of players that did not go high in the draft or didn't even get drafted that will uh, make an impact in the league. But um, for time's sake, I'd want to talk a little bit more generally and maybe end it with a quick note. Um, you said, Claire, that you didn't think anybody had a bad draft. And I saw a lot of criticism of the courage for yeah. for that, um, I would say, of all the teams. And the courage are a team – this will fold into our last bit of news from the week. Abby Dahlkemper is left on a two-and-a-half-year deal to Manchester City. Um, that is a big loss on a team that has lost a whole lot. And honestly, you know, I don't want to feed the underdog narrative, but six of the 11 starters from the actual championship game, plus McCall's or Boney, if you want to call it seven, from 2019 final, are not in North Carolina anymore, and that includes – Sam Mewis, maybe there's a return there. It's unclear. Crystal Dunn gone. Abby Dahlkemper, length of this contract, says enough about it. So, you know, North Carolina, I saw some criticism of that draft. You know, this is a very different Courage team. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's kind of like what I was saying about who they picked up. They definitely need people on the back line. Um, that back line is going to look very, very different than it has in the past. Obviously, Jalen Daniels retired. Dahlkemper is gone. Um, they got Taylor Smith back. That's another player that I'm sure they're looking to to work into their system again. And yeah, they just picked they picked players with some issues with their crossing stats. Um, but that's that is something that the courage pride themselves on. So I think it is. I'm really excited actually because um, you know Paul Riley's 
uh, reputation in the league is very interesting because he kind of did some wild stuff with the Thorns back in the early days of the league. And then he put together kind of this monster roster um, at North Carolina at, in Western New York and North Carolina. And now we might get a little bit more, uh, some, some Paul Riley machinations. So um, I would say that I, yeah, North Carolina is probably the closest to maybe walking that bust line, but I think that they're, they're trusting their system and they're trusting their coach. So I'm very interested to see what happens with them. Very interesting. And we'll get into that in the coming weeks, obviously we're preseason's right around the corner. So plenty of, of time to preview some things and and I'm sure some moves that are not yet done. So uh, that was draft week, draft night, Um, obviously a bit of a focus on the first round, but maybe some bigger picture and a newsy week in a very newsy week. I think it was Tuesday was the day where I was like, somebody please give me a break here. (laughs) Um, But hopefully we've rounded up well for you. um, If you've missed anything. And again, you can check out the full draft order on equalizersoccer.com. There's a news article from Draft Night with all the picks and plenty of analysis, and we'll continue to have that. So, uh, Claire, thanks for another good chat. Hopefully you all listening enjoyed it. Thanks to Jacqueline Purdy for producing this as always. And we'll be back next week with U.S. women's soccer games to talk about, two U.S.-Columbia games. So looking forward to that. Um, Thanks for joining us here on the Equalizer Podcast. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters, the more your network matters, the more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.